this was, hey, if you have a seat or two next to you and someone's standing, I think we've got everybody sat, actually, so I don't need to make that announcement. Uh, that was awkward. Anyway, <laughs> if you do uh, have a seat next to you, there are people going to probably be filtering in over the next couple minutes. So if you could uh, clear those seats out, that would be awesome. Uh, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here at New City Church. We do want to wish you a Merry Christmas. We just are finishing our Advent season. And uh, there's going to be on this page, we call this the weekly, there's some announcements for folks. If you want to check that out, we'd love for you to do that. If you're new to our church or would like more information about our church, we do have this connect card as well. And you can fill that out, put it in, a, uh, put it in our offering box or uh, drop it off at our information table after church. We would love to get to know you better and be praying for you. Um, if you're a follower of Christ, we uh, would love to be your church home. If you don't have a church home and are looking for one, we'd love to, uh, to be that for you. Uh, we do want to recommend all believers, and Scripture tells us this, that we need to be part of a local church. So how's it going back there? That's cool. I heard him. Was he humming, singing? Oh, there he is. Hey, what's up? Merry Christmas, little guy. <laughs> all right. All right, enough of the announcements. There's a lot more stuff going on in there. Um, I don't know about you, but uh, when I come to church, there's not a lot of thinking that goes on here at New City other than we want to preach Jesus Christ. So we're going to talk about Jesus today. Uh, there is a lot of thinking that goes on throughout the Christmas season. Um, I was thinking quite a bit at Bath and Body Works last night um, to to find the right gift. Uh, that, was a, that was a long trip, but... Uh, I hope that you can focus on Christ this morning. We're going to do a little candle lighting at the end of our time together. Uh, so for those of you who have been looking forward to some fire, we're going to have that here in a little bit. Um, we'll announce that and I'll explain it to you as we get closer. But hopefully you have a candle. If not, we'll be able to get you one uh, when that time in our, in our time in God, after God's word and our sermon time comes to a close. Um, I'm going to be reading. I'm not going to have you stand today, but I'm going to be reading from Hebrews chapter 1. Verses 1 through 4. This will be our text for this morning. Um, this is the Word of God. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. May God bless the reading of his word. Let me pray together uh, with you. Father, today is uh, the last Sunday before Christmas, 2018. We've probably experienced, some of us, many Christmases. Uh, others of us, maybe, we're still bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and young and experiencing Christmas all over and again anew uh, this season. For all of us, uh, let us be reminded that this is about Jesus coming to our world, dying on a cross, rising from a grave, and promising to come again. We celebrate hope. And joy and peace and love during this season. All of those truly only available through Jesus Christ. Uh, I pray that our focus would be on him today. That we would know the good news, the gospel in a, in a vibrant way this morning. So that we can know uh, who you are, how much you love us, 
what you did for us on the cross. Pray for those who are traveling, who are part of this church or, or friends and family that are traveling. Pray for journeys, mercies on them. We pray for those who are hurting during this time uh, of year because of various situations in their life, uh, past issues, relationships, financial issues, whatever it is, God. We pray that your healing would be upon all of us, that your, um, your peace and your joy would find us through the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask that this season would be dedicated to you, and we dedicate our time uh, in God's word to you, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe you've asked this question recently, or maybe you ask it quite a bit. Why doesn't God, and then ellipsis, why doesn't he fix my relationships? Why doesn't he help me find a better job? Why doesn't he help me uh, with an illness I'm struggling with, or with someone I know who is struggling with an illness? Uh, For me, recently, is why doesn't God fix Christmas shopping? Now, Amazon has come close, but they still don't have it quite right because they can't read the minds of the people I'm buying gifts for and then tell me how to order correctly from Amazon. But they're very efficient, uh, very effective in what they do. But we ask those questions. Sometimes they're small, sometimes they're big issues of life. We have that question. And I think it boils down to this. We want to hear more from God. We want to have a clearer direction. We want God to fix our lives We want to see him and know him and hear him in a very real way. And we ask that question even though the answer has already been given to us. We have the greatest answer to all of the greatest questions, the biggest questions of life. And maybe we need that reminder today that the answer has already been given to us. And we also need to be be reminded that God is not silent Got to remember that, that God is not some silent partner in the cosmos, that maybe he created the world, but he's not involved in any way, shape, or form in his creation. And so we start with that today because that is the first piece, the first uh, message of the gospel is that God created the cosmos. He created everything that you know. He created everything that, uh, every person that you know. He created you and he loves you specially. The Trinitarian God created the entirety of the cosmos. He is ruling over all of it and is passionately ruling over all of it. He is uh, lovingly, passionately, with care and concern, ruling over everything. He cares for you and he cares for his creation. Colossians 1.16 says this, For by him, that's Jesus, All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. This means that Jesus absolutely cares about you. I think deep down we know that, but we want him to care differently than he does care about us. We know that he cares, but couldn't he just care a little bit differently? Couldn't he give us exactly what we want? Couldn't he be, um, for lack of a better way to put it during this season, couldn't he be the Santa Claus in the sky that affords himself to my will and through my will he does what I want him to do? And we think that's the only way that he would care about us. But that sentiment that we want God to do what we want him to do reveals our desire 
to rule our own lives rather than to submit to God's direction. If God is not silent then, how can I know him more? I believe and I think scripture teaches that the human heart was created to know God deeply and fully. So that is the issue. Our hearts are broken. If you don't feel that God speaks to you, if you don't know that he speaks to you, if you don't know that he has given you a sermon beyond all sermons, then it's because your heart is broken. That has broken our fellowship with God, and we feel that God is absent and does not care about us. So we have created our own feelings of isolation through our sin. But still, God is not silent, and he has never been silent. He has a sermon for us this Christmas. So the first teaching in this passage is this. God has always been sermonizing. God has always been sermonizing. Now, some of you are freaked out about that because the sermon part of church is the part you like the least. Um, Let me tell you, a pastor's main duty is to preach the gospel, to make sermons. And sometimes that slips into all areas of life. I sermonize a lot. Just ask my family. I sermonize in the car while we're driving. I sermonize at football when I am coaching football. I sermonize at home. Sometimes I sermonize by myself, hopefully to preach the gospel to myself, but many times it's just because I like to hear myself talk, which is weird, but nonetheless, I'm fallible like everybody else. Let me give you a a definition of what sermons are, and maybe you relate to this. According to the dictionary, a sermon is a tedious religious discourse. Yes, people are going, yeah, that's right, amen. You don't say amen to that here. Okay, no. Tedious religious discourse. Let me tell you what the word really means. It has an etymology, a history to it. And this is what the word sermon means. It means to line up. To line up. It means to, to put together a series of teachings and line them up to point to something or to have a direction. So when you think about God has always been sermonizing, he has always been lining up his message to us from eternity past to eternity future. And the message is about Jesus. We'll talk about that in a moment. This passage we're looking at today says long ago. This is a reference by the author to the Old Testament prophets. He's looking back and he's saying, hey, a long time ago, the prophets... That when we listen to them, like when you listen to a prophet, if you were an an Israelite, a Jewish person, and a prophet spoke, if they were a true prophet, they they were messaging to you from God. The message that they had was directly from God. Now, there were false prophets, and they um, were, were... killed by being stoned to death. Not kind of the thing that you think about when you think of stoned here in Colorado. A different kind of stoned. Rocks thrown at them until they die. But there were true prophets of God, and the author of this book says, long ago, long ago, we were told a message that God was sermonizing, lining up something to tell us. Long ago, we were celebrating Christmas Because we were reading Isaiah, for instance, and Malachi. And the prophets who told 
this message to an Israel that was tired, that was burnt out, that had fallen into sin, was going nowhere fast. The message was this. A Savior is coming. So long ago, the message from God to us, to his people, is this. A Savior is coming. Now, we know that Jesus is the Savior, so we look back on that event that the Savior has come. But long ago is a reference by the author to the prophets. And Jesus, or excuse me, God has always been telling us this message. I am going to send a Savior. And then the author says this. Long ago, in many times and in many ways. This is God's way of saying, I'm going to give you this message of hope and love and peace and joy over and over again. Like when you read the Old Testament message from God to us, first, God will get his glory. And secondly, Jesus is coming and he says it over and over again. He does things like that because he loves you that much. He wants you to hear this sermon as many times as it takes for it to sink in. We're stubborn, so if you're a parent, you know how sometimes you've got to say the message many, many times. He also um, is, has a way of saying this in many times in many ways. It means that I'm going to give you this message, and because of that, and because of its relentless nature that the Savior is coming, I'm going to say it over and over again, In many times and in many ways, I'm going to give you this message. And because of that, all humanity is without excuse. Uh, We are actually taking a break from a study in the book of Romans, which if you're familiar with the book of Romans, fantastic book. It's called The Constitution of Christianity um, by some theological scholars because it explains the gospel and Christian living in great detail. And it talks about in the first chapter of Romans that all of us who have ever lived and who ever will live are without excuse because the creation, we've got beautiful creation here, right? We can look to the mountains and you know, when you look at those mountains, when you look at the the wildlife and you look at the lakes and the streams and the created things that even the city, the beauty of the city that people who were created, created. All of those created things speak to the existence of God, even if you haven't heard the message. God's sermon is in his creation. God's sermon is also in scriptures. We do know that, but we are all without excuse. Now, uh, imagine, and I know this because my parents used to tell me this, and now I speak it to my children. I've told you a thousand times. Have you used that one? Like, there is no excuse. The message is clear. Even if you haven't opened up a Bible and read it, the message is clear from what you see out in the world to to what you can read in the pages of Scripture. The message is clear. God has told us a thousand times. Now, we say that to our children with disdain. Like, come on, dude. When are you going to pick up the slack? God says it to us. With mercy and grace. And he says, I'll keep telling you the message that a Savior has come and you need him. The message was clear that God cared enough to send a Savior. Because frankly, all of us need a Savior. So 
The past message is that God will send, but the current and future message is this. God has sent. He has fulfilled the promises a long time ago in many times and in many ways. He said a Savior is coming. He has fulfilled all those promises by sending his son, Jesus Christ. Now, these are a few things that you need to know about Jesus. Jesus is a perfect person. He is God. He is part of the Trinitarian understanding of what God is. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All three God, different persons, but the same essence of deity, perfection. So, Jesus is a perfect person who is God. Jesus, and this is what Hebrews goes into in detail, Jesus is a perfect sacrifice for our sin. If you know a little bit about Jewish culture in the old days, they would make a lot of sacrifices to pay for, to make some sort of atonement for their sin, but all of those sacrifices were incomplete and imperfect. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice for our sin. Jesus is also this, and this is what's really important, especially in a culture that likes to deceive itself into thinking uh, what is true is not true and what is not true is true. Jesus is a perfect, detailed, clear, concise, total message for your salvation. Jesus, the man, and Jesus is the living, breathing message of God's grace to us. If you want to know the answers to all of life's questions, they are contained in the message and the man of Jesus Christ. If you want a fully orbed, okay, Scripture calls it holiness, but if you want a fully orbed understanding of how to live, the message and the man of Jesus Christ is the answer to that question. Second teaching in the text. We're going to talk about the perfect man and his message. Um, let me ask you this question as we get into this section. And this is going to be verses 2 through the first part of verse 3. Don't you want to know the full truth? I just finished coaching a team, a football team. Uh, that I had coached for seven years. Some of you all are in here today. And when I started football coaching, let, let me start with saying this. Because of my desire to coach football, I like to get input from different areas. And lately, I've been on Twitter, and football coaches love to tweet, just so you know. So I started following this one guy, and he follows a bunch of guys. So rather than follow a bunch of guys, I just follow this one guy, he kind of summarizes things for me. Now, what's interesting about this, I don't know if you're familiar with Twitter, but it's a short message that you want to project to the people that are following you. And a lot of times, this football coach in his summary will have a coach, he'll retweet. Okay, am I getting too complicated? Are you guys hanging with me? He'll retweet a message from another coach, and that coach will say something like this. I just wrote a book on how to dominate Using the RPO. Now, I thought, oh, wow. I would love to dominate using the RPO. Run, RPO is uh, run-pass option for those of you um, who are, are new to football. Anyway, 
I went to his Twitter handle, and I found out what team he was coaching. And I thought, oh, man, this guy must dominate. And then I went to the place that tells you about his team, and it's called Max Preps, if you want to know that. I'm getting really technical here. But I went to the description of his team on Max Preps, and you can find out what their record was. Okay? So dominate using the RPL. What do you think in the record would be out of like 13 games? 13 and 0, right? Something like that. How about 2 and 8? Now, when I look at that guy who wrote a book or wrote an article on how to dominate using a particular football scheme, and I look at his record and it says 2 and 8, I'm not sure I want to listen to his advice. And when I was starting to coach football, I found a person who said, hey, not only am I going to give you advice on how to coach football, I'm going to tell you uh, what my records have been over the last 10, 12 seasons. And it was an amazing guy. He wrote his record. He was like 130 and 10 over the course of 10 seasons or 11 seasons. Crazy. That's the guy I want to get my football advice from, right? And I got some football advice from him, and I've had success using a system that he developed. I tell you that long story to tell you this. There's a lot of people who will give you advice. There's a lot of people who look smart that have walked on this planet that will give you advice on how to live. And folks, every single one of those people, except for Jesus Christ, is buried in the dirt. Jesus is the only expert in life and death. That's what the the author of this passage wants to get across to us. And he gives us Jesus' qualifications. Okay, This is his record, if you want to think of it this way. This son, Jesus, is deity. First of all, it capitalized the, the word son using capital S, meaning he is God. Jesus is fully God, meaning he is full of truth, full of mercy, and fully capable to rule over everything. I'm a biology major, and so in biology we study about what caused this whole thing to kind of start. They got some crazy answers uh, at the university to answer that question. Christians believe that there was an uncaused cause. Think about that at Christmas dinner. It'll kind of keep you awake while you think about that. There was never a beginning. Jesus is the creator, meaning he is the uncaused cause. He is deity. There is only one God represented in the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, who can claim that. The author goes on to say that Jesus was appointed heir of all things. It's another way of saying that Jesus is deity, as we said just a moment ago. But he is the only one deserving to carry on the family name, that being God, uh, to, to the world. He is the heir, appointed heir of all things. He is equal to God in his essence or deity. And because he's been appointed the heir, he is the ruler over all. Go back to that Colossians verse that, that I read out of Colossians 1. Author goes on to say this, through whom also he created the world. Man, I got to tell you, um, I've been a pastor quite a while. One of the things that will get me into trouble 
faster than anything else is talking about creation. And people say, hey, man, why do we have to bring that whole science creation thing into, into the world of the church and in the world of Christianity? Do you know that the theme throughout Scripture, God talks about himself as the creator of the universe a lot. A lot. Isn't it interesting that, that organizations not committed to Christ, not committed to God, want to change the initial understanding of how we got here? They want to attack that. I find it interesting because God says over and over again in Scripture, not just here, but in a lot of places, that He is the Creator. And I think this is why. He wants you to know, God wants you to know that He created you. You did not ooze out of a slimy hole randomly from nothing. Any other description makes no sense, and it's an affront to God and His message that He made you, and because He made you, He has a plan. And he sent his Savior, to, the Savior, to execute that plan. Now, God, mentioned as creator of the world, in the New Testament, Jesus is called the creator of the world. It's not different. It's just an expansion of knowledge, of understanding who God is. Jesus, the Son, created the world. And this is what it means. He spoke, and the world leapt into existence. I wish I could speak... And the grilled cheese sandwich that I wanted for lunch would leap into existence. I can't even accomplish that. I have to get the bread and the cheese. Got to get up off the couch first and get the bread and the cheese while a great football game's on. And I got to put it all together and I got to cook it. Jesus spoke and the world leapt into existence. This is why creation and understanding God as creator is so important. Because Jesus, as the creator of the world, is the powerful Savior who can save you from your sin. You cannot, for use of the analogy, make yourself a a grilled cheese sandwich out of sin. You can't do it. Nothing you can do can take care of your sin problem. Jesus is the powerful Savior. He created the cosmos. We know He's powerful. He spoke the world left into existence. We know He's uh, supernaturally powerful. He is a powerful Savior who can save you from your sin. And He's a benevolent Savior who will show you mercy and protect you from sin, Satan, and death. And then this is how the author finishes up. Uh, describing Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. God's glory is glorious. Just wait until you see it face to face. Now, I can say that two ways, right? If you're a follower of Christ, God's glory is glorious. Just wait Until you see him face to face. Everything that you worried about, were concerned with, had issues with, all the trouble of your life will melt in the presence of the glory of God. 
if you know Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, I would say it this way. Just wait until you see it face to face. You see the difference. Those who believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior are headed for pure joy in the glory of God. Those who have rejected Jesus Christ as Savior are headed to a pure hell. Jesus upholds the universe by his power. It's a reminder how fallible and how powerless I am and how much I need the power of the one who holds the universe together. Quick story. I'm running out of time. This came home to me in a very uh, vivid way this past summer. We were invited to go to Florida. And while in Florida, we were going to be able to stay in this beautiful home and have access to this beautiful boat. Okay, many of you know where the story is going. A beautiful boat that was a very expensive boat and a very brand new boat. And a boat that this wonderful gentleman was going to allow me to drive. Okay, now I, I'm a decent, like I, jack of all trades type of person, but I've not driven a boat much. And so I think him knowing that, he said, this is what I'm going to do. We'll come out with you for the first day or so, and I'll teach you how to drive the boat. Man, when I was in that boat, going through these beautiful canals and Everglades and and bays in Florida, I was relaxed. Like the ocean spray, the beautiful sunshine, um, the, the wonderful music selection, which is a story for another time. I was relaxed. Do you know when I stopped being relaxed? When he handed me the keys to that boat. That was the moment where I realized I do not uphold the universe by my power. I can barely figure out how to park this thing, let alone take it out onto the open ocean in six-foot swells and not kill myself and my family and have some horrible news for New City Church on how their pastor died. (laughs) Jesus upholds the universe by his power. You can relax. You can have joy in the midst of the storm. You can have peace in the midst of the conflict with Jesus Christ. You can relax if you're in Christ. He's got this. Last teaching, we'll finish. Jesus is the perfect and only sacrifice for our sin. It starts out verse, uh, or excuse me, the second part of verse 3 by saying that Jesus, God sending Jesus, made purification for sin. Now, if you know me and you've been around New City a little bit, I like to sometimes take a word like purification and explain it to you in more detail because when we think about purification, um, we just don't understand the depth of what is going on theologically in that statement. Jesus made purification for sin. Now, the word purification 
is, is an idea of cleansing, but it's even more than that. It's perfect catharsis. Now, a lot of us, when we have an issue in our life or a sin in our life, we want to have a catharsis. And so we, we kind of um, come up with our own system of penance. Like, we got to pay for this. I spoke crossly to my wife. I'm going to go fill her car up with gas. An example of my silly, maybe little penance that I tried to do because I wronged my wife. There is no penance necessary in Christ. It is a perfect cleansing. When Jesus saves you, he perfectly cleanses you and he perfectly has paid for your sin. His cleansing is a perfect cleansing. And some of you today might be saying this, I can't seem to get clean. You are correct. Only Jesus has the power and the initiative to make you clean. And the disciples didn't know what to do when when Jesus died. So they ran to the tomb in disbelief of his resurrection. They just couldn't believe he wasn't there. They had only seen his bloody, torturous death. And they were still struggling with this understanding of what just occurred. And looking back, and the author of Hebrews looking back at that event, understood that Jesus was purifying them from their sin. And he was the only one who had the power to do that by the demonstration of his power in the resurrection from the grave. So the disciples ran to the tomb. They didn't know what Jesus had done. They didn't know of his resurrection. They couldn't believe it. They saw his bloody, torturous uh, torturous death. And he ends this particular section by saying um, that Jesus did not stay a peasant martyr for a good cause. There is no grave for Jesus. He rose from the grave. And currently, as it says in this passage, he sits as king of kings and lord of lords. He is not in a lowly manger. And so I choose, as all followers of Christ should choose, to celebrate his ascendancy and ruling over all things. That's what it means when it says he is higher than the angels. The shepherds, you know, in the Christmas story, see the angels, they're awestruck. And we have a tendency, like those shepherds, to be so awestruck at the created thing that we forget there was a, again, creator. And the shepherds, having that tendency, were probably in a state maybe of worship of those particular angels. These beings flying around in the air, glorious radiance and light. And I mean, that'd be pretty spectacular. You think, wow. The author says that Jesus is greater than the angels because Jesus is God. Let me leave you with this. We all need Jesus this Christmas. God has always been preaching the sermon of the Savior to us. So the question, will you listen to God's sermon and will you believe? Will you listen to God's sermon and will you believe? If you have never, to your understanding or knowledge, been saved by Jesus... 
He saves people. He was sent to do so. God has been telling us he's sending a savior to forgive us of our sins, to come into our life and by the Holy Spirit, make us new. Regenerate is a, is a biblical term for that, to make us new, to cleanse us from our sin and to give us a purpose beyond anything we could think or imagine. Will you turn to him today? Will you believe? I'm going to pray for us. And as I do, we'll get ready to light our candles together. Our musicians will come up and play some music for us and we'll sing together as well. Um, Remember, Jesus is the light of the world sent to save you from your sin. Let's pray. Father God, I pray for all these uh, folks who are here today that they will have a fantastic time at Christmas. Pray that the presents will be all that we had hoped for, that the food will be great, the company and fellowship of other people in our lives will be uh, astounding, that we would love each other as you've asked us to love each other. More importantly, I believe, uh, pray that we would understand that the reason behind all of that is to give you glory. You are the light of the world who came to save people from their sins. It is the only way to live. It is the only way to understand the life that has been uh, put before us. I thank you that God has been sermonizing from ages past and will be giving a sermon about Jesus Christ into eternity future. Thank you and bless these folks who are here today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand up with me. And as we do.